a new set of Nikon D6 camera specifications, some Nikon DSLRs that will not be replaced with a newer DSLR model, a new Canon RF 16 to 28 millimeter F2L USM is coming, and how to keep social media from sucking the life out of your creativity. All of this on episode 27 of the Liam Photography Podcast. You're listening to the Liam Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Liam Douglas, and this is episode 27. So before I begin the meat and potatoes of this episode, I wanted to take a moment and thank all of my brothers and sisters in uniform who have served this nation proudly on this July 4th, 2019. I really appreciate for one, myself, I appreciate all of your sacrifices that you made to serve your country and for those that gave their lives for this country, I want to send out prayers to your surviving family members. Now let's get on with this week's episode. So Nikon Rumors has received a new list of rumors on a purported Nikon D6 high-end pro sports body. The potential announcement for this camera will be in early 2020 and there are prototypes already being tested out in the field. Now, one of the reasons for the delay in announcement of the D6 has to do with the adding of sensor stabilization into this body. Now, another separate rumor that had been floating around was that the D6 was going to be some sort of hybrid between DSLR and mirrorless, but we are hearing now that the D6 will definitely not be a hybrid camera, but rather a DSLR with some mirrorless features such as better video and in-body image stabilization. Another rumor is that this model will have dual CF Express memory card slots, a .76 to 78 times 100% viewfinder, a new Xpeed dual processors, better improved AF than the current D5, It will also reportedly have built-in Wi-Fi, a 3.2 million dot touchscreen with full touch capabilities, and excellent slash improved silent shooting modes. So this is definitely some interesting new information uh, coming out of NikonRumors.com about the possible technologies and features that will be in the D6 that Nikon is expected to release in early 2020. I have a feeling they probably will release a D6, uh, just as Canon is rumored to be preparing to release a 1DX Mark III. And that's because uh, next year, of course, next summer is when the Olympics will be in Tokyo. And Canon and Nikon are going to want to make sure that they get their latest flagship bodies to market in time for all of those sports photographers to use them while they're covering the Olympic Games. Now, of course, all of this makes sense, especially given that the Olympic Games are covered by photographers from Getty and Sports Illustrated, and I'm sure some other publications as well. And those shooters always like to have the most advanced, high-end pro sports body they can possibly get. So it's not uncommon for all of the major shooters that will be at the Olympic Games to be either using Nikon 
D6 or Canon 1DX Mark III models. And of course, they'll also be using all of the high-end glass that they can possibly get their hands on. I'm always impressed when any of the Olympic Games come around. Uh, not that I watch the Olympics myself. I'm not mu that much into sports, but I always love to see the photographs that get posted by like Getty um, of all of the camera bodies and lenses they have lined up for the, their photographers to take to cover the games. And it's just a massive array of camera bodies. And on the Canon side, especially all that L glass that's white in color, you know, their, their high-end prime, you know, 600 millimeter lenses, 400 millimeter primes, 300 millimeter primes, all that crazy stuff. And of course, you know, the equivalent Nikon lenses on their side as well. So we'll have to wait and see what happens, but it does look like uh, Nikon is possibly planning to release the D6 in early 2020, uh, which will, like I said, get it to market in time for the Olympic Games. And it'll be really cool if we do see some of these rumored specs and features in this new body. Now, I would love to hear from any of my listeners, so if you want to, go ahead and leave a comment on this episode, either on the uh, LeonPhotographyPodcast.com site or in the Facebook group. It's probably better to do it in the Facebook group. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm not sure I might have turned on comments on the website. Uh, but you can go over to Facebook and, and do a search for Leon Photography Podcast and request to join the group. You only have to answer one question, which is the host name, and that's myself. You can put Liam or Liam Douglas. And I do that to keep down the spammers and bots and all of that good stuff uh, so that we can have a better experience in the Facebook group. Now, the next topic I want to talk about when it comes to the latest Nikon rumors are rumors about Nikon's DSLR cameras and particularly models that will not be getting a replacement with an upgraded model DSLR. So some new rumors list of Nikon DSLR cameras that won't be replaced. They will most likely eventually uh, be replaced with mirrorless equivalents. The uh, rumored list includes the Nikon D3500, the 5600, and the D500. And also, there are rumors that these models will be getting an upgraded replacement. That would be the Nikon D7500, the D750, the D850, and of course, the Nikon D5, which I mentioned in the first segment, uh, is rumored to be replaced next year with the new D6. We'll have to wait and see if this um, actually pans out, if these rumors are true. Now, I would not be surprised if Nikon is looking to pare down, you know, their DSLR uh, product line just because, you know, everybody's transitioning into the world of mirrorless cameras. So it doesn't really make a lot of sense for Nikon to spend a lot of money in these uh, lower-end consumer DSLR cameras, you know, in other words, coming out with a somewhat modified, you know, version every year, or every couple of years, you know, going from the D3500 to a D36 or 37, and woo, we added a couple of new features and another bell and whistle, and woohoo, got a new camera. Yeah, I mean, it just doesn't make sense for them to keep doing that. So I'm expecting to see them uh, pare down how many DSLR offerings they're going to have as they're making the transition to mirrorless. And I expect that more than likely Canon will be doing the same thing. There's already been rumblings that uh, they're going to be killing off some of their uh, DSLR uh, lower-end models, you know, the entry-level models and mid-level models, and, uh, of course, eventually replacing everything, or most all of their bodies with mirrorless offerings. 
and we'll have to wait and see how it fleshes out. But, uh, you know, I, I often felt that it was kind of silly that both Canon and Nikon come out with quote-unquote upgraded DSLRs every year or every two years. And they just basically, you know, put a couple of new features in and maybe increase the resolution of the LCD on the back. And, ooh, that's a new camera, you know. And people would fall for it, you know. They'd run out and buy it, you know. And when the camera they previously had is perfectly fine, if you already got a T6i, you don't need to immediately run out and buy a T7i. Where on the other hand, if you're a Canon shooter and let's say you still have a T2i or a T3i, those bodies are really old. So yeah, then it would make sense to upgrade to something like the T7i to you know get the latest technology, a better sensor, better processors, and that will help with the the quality of your photograph. So in those cases, I would definitely say it's a good idea to upgrade if it's been a while, but Again, you don't need to play keeping up with the Joneses and worry about upgrading to the latest quote-unquote update to your DSLR every year or every two years when Canon and Nikon release them. I always tell photographers, unless your equipment is holding back or stifling your creativity, unless you cannot get the kind of photographs that you want to get or need to get, you don't need to buy a new camera. Uh, you're better off investing in quality glass, which is something that'll last you for many, many, many more years than a body will. So spend that money in high quality glass that you can keep for decades and you can never possibly go wrong with that kind of investment. And most any uh, professional photographers will tell you the same thing. The glass is king. Uh, that's where you really want to invest your money is in that high quality Canon L glass or the high quality Nikon glass, and uh, you just you just can't go wrong by investing in that part of the equipment and that part of the platform. And you don't need to upgrade every year. So just because Canon has a 70 to 200 f 2.8 L Mark III USM doesn't mean I'm going to get rid of my mint condition Mark II 70 to 200 2.8. Absolutely not. Does the Mark III it, does it have some improvements over the Mark II? Yeah, it does. They always do, but it's definitely not enough for me to get rid of my Mark II and run out and buy a Mark III at, you know, for full boat retail price. I'm not gaining that much. If I was using, say, a 70 to 200 millimeter F4, and I suddenly had, you know, the kind of money where I could buy a 70 to 200 F2, then yeah, maybe it would make sense to get the Mark III. Although I'd probably jump from the, the F4 model to the Mark II 2.8 because that one's come down in price since the Mark III was released. You can get an even better deal, you know, by buying the new old stock of the Mark II version of that lens. Now, shifting gears a little bit, the uh, next rumor I want to talk about is coming from the CanonRumors.com website, and that is that Canon is planning to release a new RF 16-28mm F2L USM lens. Now, as many of you are already aware, when Canon announced the EOS R, one of their first three lenses that they were releasing with the new RF mount was the 28-70 F2 USM-L lens. And it's supposed to be, I guess, more or less kind of sort of a replacement for the 24-70 2.8 in the EF mount. Although there is there are rumors that they're also going to do uh, an RF 70-200 or 24-70 F2.8. So we'll have to wait and see. 
Um, if they are going to have those two lenses kind of an, an, you know, a bit of an overlap in those focal lengths, um, I don't know if they will or not, but there's rumors that they're going to, so we'll have to wait and see. Um, but according to CanonRumors.com, just in the last couple of days, they were reporting that Canon was hard at work on this next F2 zoom lens with a suggestion that we'd see a quote-unquote holy trinity of F2L zoom lenses from Canon. Now, the next F2 zoom lens, of course, as I mentioned a moment ago, is supposed to be the 16 to 28, which will work nicely if you already have the 28 to 70, then you'll be covered from 16 all the way up to 70 with a perfect F2 super wide aperture throughout those entire focal ranges. Now, none of the F2 lenses will have image stabilization, but that's not really a reason to freak out as all of the future EOS R bodies are going to have in-body image stabilization. So it won't really matter that these lenses don't have the image stabilization Canon's IS technology built into them. You will still be able to get image stabilization, you know, down the road when you upgrade to a newer EOS R body that already includes IBIS. Now, another thing that I tell people all the time is you don't need to worry so much about image stabilization. I know people squawk all the time about, oh, this camera doesn't have IBIS. It's not good. It's a junk camera if it doesn't have IBIS. What the hell do you need IBIS for anyways? I mean, to be honest, IBIS only works with your shorter focal length lenses. It doesn't work well on telephoto lenses. It's pretty much useless on them. So... What is the big deal? Uh, the one thing I always tell people, if, if you want image stabilization or vibration reduction or whatever you want to call it, depending on who the manufacturer is, rather than worrying about the stabilization features, which of course make a lens much heavier and much more expensive, you can, if your biggest concern is camera shake when you're hand holding your camera, all you need to do is bump up your shutter speed to be the uh, equivalent of your focal length. So in other words, if you're shooting a 70 to 200 f2.8 or f4 and you have the non-image stabilized model of those lenses and you're shooting something at 200 millimeters, just make sure that your shutter speed is at at least 200 or higher. I would recommend going to like a shutter speed of 320. And that should pretty much eliminate any noticeable camera shake in your images from, you know, hand holding the camera as you're shooting. So I know a lot of people like to have the image stabilization, whether it's in the lens or in the body. I don't really see it as a deal breaker myself. I, I can live with it or live without it. I, you know, lived without it for many, many years doing photography before image stabilization and sensor stabilization technologies even came about. So, and I always managed to get good photographs without those those features, they are nice. And, you know, I'll talk to older photographers once in a while that are like, oh, yeah, that I, image stabilization is the greatest thing in the world because I'm getting older and my hands shake even worse now that I'm older than they did when I was younger. So, uh, you know, I like having some sort of compensation for that kind of stuff. And I, and I can understand that, especially, you know, if you're if you're an older shooter, you know, you're getting up there in your 60s or 70s and your your hands are nowhere as near as steady as they were when you're in your 20s or 30s. That's understandable then yeah, image stabilization in the lens or the body could be a big help. But for the most part, your average person doesn't absolutely need to have image stabilization, whether it's in the lens or the body. It is just a nice feature to have. And that's one of the reasons why Sony has it 
in all of their full-frame mirrorless bodies because they've been trying to pull as much of the consumer pie. They've been trying to yank as much of that pie away from Canon and Nikon as they possibly can. And for the most part, it's worked uh, with them finally becoming the number one full-frame camera seller in the world in the last year or so. But also, if you remember one of my earlier episodes, I mentioned now that Canon and Nikon do have mirrorless full-frame bodies. Uh, Sony's piece of the pie is starting to shrink in Japan. So we'll have to wait and see if that translates to their pie shrinking uh, in the worldwide market or especially in the United States and European markets. We'll have to wait and see. You know, only time will tell on that. But I did want to share that uh, Canon is planning to release a second F2 zoom L lens which will be, you know, I'm sure a fantastic lens like the 28 to 70 is, but again, it's going to be really expensive and it's going to be heavy being it's an F2 lens. I would predict more than likely if this lens does come to fruition, it's probably going to be priced at around $2,600, $2,700. So yeah, it's going to put a dent in your wallet unless you've got money to burn. All right, for this last segment, uh, one of the items I wanted to cover in this week's uh, 4th of July episode is not, I don't want photographers to let social media stifle your creativity when it comes to your photography. Now, a lot of times people don't think, you know, they don't think in depth about social media and, and it, social media has pluses and minuses that, you know, it has uh, pros and cons, if you will. Uh, but I tell people all the time, don't get discouraged by how your photos are perceived on social media. So let's get into this. Um, so as most of you are aware, there's tons of social media sites these days. You've got Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, and then you have some photography-based uh, social media sites as well, like 500px and and some others, uh, Guru Shots, which I personally, uh, I no longer post on there anymore just because their contests are a complete joke. Uh, you know, they put out a contest saying, oh, post these kind of photos, and then you get people that don't even come close to following the theme of the contest, and then they win the prize anyways. It's like, okay, how do you win a prize for not following the guidelines of the contest? Uh, so, yeah, I got away from them. I, I stopped posting any images on there for quite a long time quite a long time ago. I think it's been over a year now. But anyways, let me let me not get sidetracked too badly. But, uh, but the point I'm trying to make is you can't let these social media sites be the end-all and be-all of your life and your creativity as a photographer. Now, I know a lot of times photographers will get discouraged with the results uh, they find on these sites, especially if they don't receive a large amount of likes or shares or favorites each time they post an image. Now, these responses are in no way an accurate gauge of how creative you are or your ability as a photographer. They are more the results of social media popularity contests. And I've talked to and seen so many photographers become discouraged with these platforms because they don't get the tons of likes or shares that they think and they think their work is not good enough or that no one likes their, their particular creative flair or style. When that's not necessarily the truth, you know, uh, to be honest, these social media sites, most all of them are nothing more than a popularity contest. I mean, I've seen the stupidest things on social media get tons of likes and reshares and favorites and all that. And I mean, it's just it gets 
ridiculously absurd. I mean, it just gets totally out of control sometimes with the stupidest things that are popular on social media. So when it comes to your art and your work, you have, you have to be the one true judge of your create creativity and always strive to try new things and think outside the box. I tell people all the time, that's the best way to grow as a photographer. You can't grow and enhance your skills and abilities of, of a, as a photographer if you stay in one little tiny virtual box, you know, as far as what you do with your camera, you need to get outside your comfort zone. If you're somebody that likes shooting landscapes, switch it up one weekend, go into town and shoot some street photography, especially if there's a, you know, a fair going on or something like that, where there's a lot of colors and a lot of creative things and rides and kids and families and all that cool stuff. Get outside Get outside of the box and outside of your comfort zone and take on some new genres of photography, even if you're just doing it for yourself. I mean, there's absolutely nothing wrong with that. You don't need to always be out shooting for clients. I mean, yeah, it's great to, you know, have enough clients that you can make a good living with your photography, but you don't want to only be working for clients all the time. You know, the only time you go out with your camera is when you're working for clients because then this is going to feel more like a chore. You know, that's when the when the job of being a photographer, quote unquote, uh, starts dragging you down and you get into a rut and your creativity starts to erode and and then you get depressed and, you know, you're doing the same old thing all the time. That's why I always recommend that photographers, you know, think outside the box, get out of your comfort zone, take a weekend, say, and you know, and go out and, like I said, do street photography and challenge yourself. Use a prime lens only. Go out and take a weekend instead of using your zoom lens or your telephoto zoom lens. You know, go into down where I live here uh, outside Atlanta. Go into downtown Atlanta with your 35 millimeter prime lens. Put that bad boy on your camera body and just do some street photography. You know, just snap regular ordinary people going about their lives on the street and, and see what you can come up with. See what kind of fantastic images you can get from doing stuff like that. Now, I can personally tell you from experience that I have photos that I've posted on 500px and even on Facebook that got pretty much no attention at all. Hardly any likes or shares or comments or anything. But the same photo that I posted on im.com and was reshared out to Getty Images Market that photograph, this one particular photograph is selling like hotcakes. Now, the image I'm referring to, and I've mentioned it in one or two of my earlier episodes, I just simply uh, titled Tybee Island Sunrise. And it's just an image that I shot in 2014 while I stood on the beach of Tybee Island, Georgia, as the sun came up over the Atlantic. I uh, was, you know, I got out there nice and early, got my tripod set up and everything and made sure I was ready. And as the sun came up over the Atlantic, I, I snapped off a few shots and I got one that just turned out amazing straight out of the camera. No post-processing, no tweaking of colors or anything like that. It, it, it was just beautiful right out of the camera. The whole sky is a beautiful orange-yellow mix. And you even had the orange and yellowish glow on the gentle waves of the Atlantic Ocean as it's rolling in towards the beach. And that image, you know, is amazing. I put it on social media and everybody's like, eh, eh, that's not that good. But I put that same image on IM and submitted it to their marketplace, which gets it shared out to Getty Images Marketplace. 
And I think I posted that image um, in the marketplace. I think it was in early or maybe mid-2015. And I shot the image in early 2014. And I can honestly tell you in the last four years, I've sold over a thousand copies of that image on Getty Images. It's been super popular on there. Um, I, I guess in a way you could, you could consider it a stock image, you know, because it's fairly simplistic. And, and I'll put a link to my blog post article uh, on this subject. I'll put that in the show notes and you can, you know, click on the, uh, the blog post and you go to the blog post on the liamphotography.net website and you can see the image for yourself. Um, you can see the uh, thumbnail version on the website and then if you just click on it, it'll load up for you the full screen version that you can check out. And, and like I said, that's a fantastic image. Nobody liked it on social media. But it's sold like hotcakes on IM and Getty Images. So I, I'm really happy with that. Now, the inverse of that, of course, is I have images that I posted that scored really high or have gotten lots of likes and shares. And, and then when I put those same images in IM or Getty or 500px, I don't sell a single copy. And it's not that they're a bad image. Uh, you know, most of the time they're really fantastic images, you know, tack sharp focus, great composition, you know, very creative and visually pleasing to the eyes. And everybody on the buying sites are like, meh. And, and more than likely, it's just because there's so many images on those sites. I mean, you take somebody like Getty Images, and I'm sure their library of images that are for sale is millions and millions of photographs. Maybe even tens of millions. So, you know, you're going to have it. It's going to work one way or the other. You know, either it's going to be super popular on social media, but it won't sell. Or social media will say it sucks, but you put it on a, on a site where you sell images and it'll sell like hotcakes. So six in one hand, half dozen in the other, I guess, is one way you could look at it. But, you know, basically the point I'm trying to make is don't let these social media sites suck the life out of your photography. Don't let it destroy your creativity. Don't let it destroy your creative processes and trying new things. You got to chalk it up to life experience and just keep going about your thing and doing what you like to do and also doing whatever your clients are paying you to do. Don't concentrate on social media. It is great to have a social media presence as a photographer or a videographer. I understand that. It can get you more exposure. It can get you more potential clients. But you cannot let social media suck the life out of your photography. You don't want to do that. It's going to destroy you. And you're going to get to the point where your photography that, that was once a passion and wasn't really like a job because you were doing something that you love to do and you get paid good money to do. And now it's become a job that you get up every morning and you dread having to go out and do that paid shoot or, or whatever the case may be. You know, and it's going to happen. You've got to stay away from getting stuck in a rut. And I definitely, definitely take anything on social media with a grain of salt. Uh, because they are great platforms to get your work out there, possibly get it seen by other potential clients or brands that might want to work with you, uh, especially if they like your creative flair. But if you let these social media sites, basically, uh, if you get sucked into these social media sites to where it becomes more or less your world, 
and your images aren't popular enough on there, it's going to suck the life out of your creativity and out of your work. And then you're going to hate doing photography. You're going to want to quit and find something else to do. But don't let that happen. Always remember that social media is just a virtual world. It doesn't mean anything. Even the most viral videos or photos on social media, their popularity dies off eventually. You know, there's an old saying, everybody gets their 15 minutes of fame at one point or another. So I wouldn't worry too much about that. Now, the I did create a personal photography Twitter account that's separate from my personal one. And I've actually picked up quite a few professional photographers on there as followers, as well as a few celebrities. And some of them are even nice enough to talk to me on there via direct message on a, on a somewhat regular basis. I don't hound them all the time. You know, I'll drop them a note every now and then, you know, I'll ask for their feedback on an image that I posted or, or just share the image with them and see what they think. And, and some of them will be kind enough to give you some honest feedback on your work that you post on there. Now, of course, some of your more famous photographers like Chase Jarvis and Zach Arias, they won't give you the time of day. Um, most of the time, they won't even answer emails you send to them, uh, whether it's because they're so busy or, you know, some people think that once they become famous, they're better than everybody else. I don't know if that's the case with either one of these guys. But, you know, I was really kind of disappointed because I reached out to Zach Arias uh, a couple of times through his website because uh, at that time I was living in Gwinnett County. And that's where his studio is. His studio, I think, is in Duluth. And I was in Loganville. So, you know, his studio is like 20 miles from my house. And I wanted to come by and check out his studio and meet him and, you know, chat a little bit with him and, and his studio manager. But they didn't even have the common courtesy of replying to my emails or, or voicemails that I left. So I said, the heck with it. And uh, I go about my thing and I do my own thing. And, you know, I don't worry about people like that. But now there are people out there that are fairly well-known or famous, if you will, that will, you know, critique your work, even though they're really busy. I mean, I would recommend somebody like Jared Poland from Fronosphoto.com. He's a fantastic guy. He, he puts out some really uh, funny, interesting, and knowledgeable videos on his YouTube channel. And he's really, he's a really down-to-earth guy. And uh, he, always, he does critiques on a regular basis on his YouTube channel. You know, he'll tell you to go to this link and upload your 10 best images. And, you know, that you are uh, uh, share your 10 best images from your Flickr account. You know, send it to me via this link on my website. And maybe I'll pick yours and do a critique of it on one of my, in one of my videos. And he's really cool about that. And, uh, you know, and you could also try Tony and Chelsea Northrop. They have... Uh, they have a weekly thing where they will critique uh, photographs that are submitted. Uh, and each, each time they do one of these episodes, it's a different genre. So, you know, one week it might be portrait. And the cool thing is with Tony and Chelsea is they'll often have really famous uh, photographers join them in those episodes uh, to help critique your, your photographs. So, uh, you know, it could be a really famous uh, portrait photographer or landscape photographer and uh, I actually, the first time I submitted one of my photographs to Tony and Chelsea, uh, I think it was uh, the subject was your best work or something like that. And I posted my Tybee Island sunrise shot and they picked it and showed it on their on, on their YouTube channel. And it was really cool. I thought that was really, really cool. But, uh, you know, just some ideas. Now, there's also Josh Schmidt from phototipshq.com. Uh, photo He's a really nice guy. And Ken Rockwell from KenRockwell.com, 
Uh, he's a really nice down-to-earth guy. I've emailed him numerous times, you know, about different casual things. You know, I try not to bug any of these people a whole lot. Sometimes I'll just, you know, bounce ideas off them or, you know, I'll shoot them a quick note about, you know, a new camera or lens that's coming out to get their take, you know, before they do any kind of official review or something like that. You know, and these folks are all people that have been kind enough to get back to me, whether it's by email or direct message on Twitter. Uh, and another photographer who has a really popular YouTube channel, uh, and I consider her a friend of mine as well, is uh, Lee from the Snapchick.com. Uh, she and her husband Raymond have a really popular photography YouTube channel, and they do a lot of cool content on there. And uh, I've exchanged emails with her several times over the years, and, and she's a really nice lady as well. Uh, sometimes it takes a little while before she gets back to you because she's so busy, you know, planning her next series of videos and, and the exclusive content for her subscribed members, you know, that she has to do that stuff each week and, you know, things like that. But she will get back to you. So don't be shy. Uh, you can even, uh, I think sometimes she'll even ask uh, members of her Facebook group to post images on there. Um, and, and she'll get, you know, give you a bit of a critique on the image or something like that. So that's really cool. Plus, she does also take questions from her viewers. Then she'll read your question, you know, on air, if you will, in one of her YouTube videos and give you her answer. So she is really cool about that as well. Now, this next image that's going to be in the link in the show notes uh, to this blog article that I did a while back, um, I titled this one Wall of Light. And this one got tons of likes and shares. And uh, my college, the Art Institute of Pittsburgh, even use this image in some of their publications advertising their digital photography degree programs. But I've never managed to sell a single copy of this image. And what it was, it was one of my, it was my very first attempt at nighttime long exposures. And I drove up to between Georgia, which is a little town in the middle of nowhere, um, halfway between Loganville and Monroe, which is where I was living at the time. And I found this uh, BP gas station basically in the heart, quote unquote, of downtown between where they have a blinking traffic light with a single light, a uh, single, you know, it's not one of the tier, uh, three red, yellow, green, just a single one. Uh, but anyways, I stood in the corner of this uh, BP gas station, you know, at about uh, midnight. And I set my camera up on a tripod, set my ISO at 100, you know, the aperture, I set it, you know, so that everything would be in focus. I think I used F8, something like that. And then I, as vehicles were coming down the road from Monroe going towards Loganville, I just opened up my shutter and I left it open for about 30 seconds. And I got this really cool, what I, like I said, I titled the shot Wall of Light because that's what it is. I got, not only got a bunch of cars that went by at the time, but I also had one or two tractor trailers that went by. So it basically is a fairly tall wall of light in this image going from red to green to orange and to white. And it was, it's a really awesome image. It's one of my favorite images that I've ever created. And it's super popular on social media, but never sold a single copy of it on any of the sites that I, you know, I can sell my photos on. So I, these things happen. Now uh, I've also done some personal email exchanges with guys like David Hobby and Scott Kelby, and they're, they're really fantastic gentlemen, very knowledgeable. 
And, uh, but I try not to bother them too much because I know they have a lot of irons in the fire all the time. So it's a bit harder to catch up with them. Um, so I, I don't want to feel like bothering them. So I try not to hit them up very often. Once in a great while, I'll shoot an email to Scott, you know, about his worldwide photo walk, you know, that kind of stuff. But uh, I don't bother those guys, you know, to critique my photos or my portfolio or anything like that. But the, like I said, the point I'm trying to make is that you can't let all of these social media sites drag you down and stifle or kill your creativity and make you second guess your abilities, your talents, and your creativity as a photographer or, or artist. Take most of the response you get on social media with a grain of salt. And I, I mean, I don't even let myself get overly excited when people gush over my work that's posted on there, but I do make sure that I always thank them for their comments. And, you know, that's just the right thing to do, you know, being polite. And I mean, you're going to run into people that are absolutely snotty and nasty on social media. And I'm, I'm sure most of my listeners are already aware of that. You know, they've been on some or all of these social media sites for some time now, so they know how people can get on these sites, even in some of the photography groups, you get some really, you know, snooty people that, you know, they've been shooting a long time. They think they're better than better than everybody else. So they kind of look down their nose on anybody that hasn't been shooting for 30, 40, 50 years like that. All right. So I'm going to go ahead and wrap up this week's episode, episode 27 of the Liam Photography Podcast. I want to, once again, uh, Thank all of my listeners for subscribing, rating, and reviewing the show in iTunes or anywhere else you might be listening to it, which also includes Spotify and Stitcher. I'm still trying to get into Pandora, but nothing from them as of yet. Uh, I've tried a couple of times and still haven't gotten anything back and haven't been able to find my show on there. So I guess they don't feel that my show is big enough yet to to uh, be blessed by the Pandora gods, but uh, we'll see what happens uh, as the show grows and progresses. Uh, hopefully, maybe at some point down the road, they will add us to Pandora, which would be really cool. Uh, but we are on Spotify, and I know a lot of my listeners use Spotify, um, especially for their music, and they like the fact that they can use Spotify for both their favorite music and their favorite podcasts in a single app. So that's definitely cool. Um, like I said, you can always uh, access the show notes at liamphotographypodcast.com. I post everything on there with, for each episode each week. And it'll also have the links to the material that I used in this episode, whether it's from Nikon Rumors, Canon Rumors, uh, Petapixel, or any other possible sites uh, where I find information that I talk about in my show. And again, don't forget to stop by the Liam Photography Podcast Facebook group and request to join. Again, you only have to answer one question to join the group. That's who is the host of the show, which is myself, Liam, or you can put Liam Douglas. Either one works. And that'll get you into the group. And again, I do that to keep out the spammers and bots and all of that boring stuff that annoys the daylights out of everybody. And you are welcome, once you're a member of the group, to post your own original work. Please don't reshare or steal other people's work and post it as yours in the group, or you will be banned permanently. But you are welcome to share your own original photographic work in there, 
or if you're another type of artist, a sculpture, whatever the case may be, you know, you're welcome to post your work in there as well. I ask that the members try to limit the number of photographs they post each 24 hour period to five. You can either spread them out, you know, and post one every few hours of the day, or you can do uh, the entire batch of five in one shot and let Facebook create that little slideshow thing for you and people can scroll through them that way. That's totally cool. You know, I just don't want people flooding the, the Facebook group with too many images and, you know, then I run the risk of missing a question that somebody asks in the group that may have something maybe they want me to discuss on a future episode of the show. Uh, so that's why I, I, I put a little bit of a restriction on that. Now, you also have the ability to call the show. You can call uh, and leave a voicemail or a text message if you would like have a question you'd like answered on a future episode or when I make announcements in the Facebook group about a particular subject that's going to be coming up, like maybe uh, listener questions or subscriber questions, uh, you know, I'll think of some sort of mini segment we'll do, or maybe it'll end up being a big thing, you know, if we can get a bunch of questions that various people have from the group uh, about photography in general, or whether it's, you know, uh, composition, lighting, uh, camera gear, recommendations on lenses or accessories, backpacks, all that stuff. Uh, but you can reach out using the number 470-294-8191. And as I mentioned, you can go ahead and leave a voicemail on that line. Uh, I won't answer the line directly, uh, but you're welcome to leave a voicemail on there if you have a question or a comment about an episode or a question uh, about something photography related that maybe you need, you have a question you need answered. I'll be sure to uh, check those messages on a weekly basis. And uh, if I do get any good questions on there or requests for uh, some help with a photography-related subject, I'll be more than happy to include that in, a, in an upcoming episode. Now, I also want to remind my listeners that you absolutely want to tune in next Thursday, the 11th of July, as professional model Ellie Cat is going to be on the show again. Uh, I know her first episode, uh, the, she was one of the first interviewees I did on the show, and her episode has been super popular. She's a really nice lady. She's a lot of fun to talk to. Uh, she's been a professional model for quite a few years now, and she also works as a geologist, so she's really smart, too. And she's just a really nice person. She's a lot of fun to talk to. She said she really enjoyed uh, being on the show the first time, and she's excited to come back on the show again. So you'll definitely want to check that out next uh, Thursday. I will be doing in episode 28, uh, another interview with my friend and professional model, Ellie Cat. So you definitely do not want to miss episode 28. All right. I want to thank everybody for your time and I will see you next week in episode 28. <laughs>